0: This is Sunrise, the who? what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where the state Senate has approved a bill requiring parental consent for abortion. The Education Committee in the Florida House advances a bill, allowing college athletes to cash in on their fame without losing their scholarships. The new commissioner of the Florida Office of Financial Regulation might not be starting his new job anytime soon, if at all. Our guest on the Sunrise Interview is State Representative Carlos Guillermo Smith, who finds himself under attack for calling out private schools that accept vouchers but refuse to accept gay and lesbian students. We'll also have your political calendar of events and hear the latest about Florida man who finally beat City Hall with the help of the U.S. Supreme Court. And now, the top stories on Sunrise for Friday, February 7th. A controversial bill requiring parents to consent before their underage daughters get an abortion has been approved by the Florida Senate and is on its way to the House. Senator Kelly Stargill is the sponsor of SB 404.
1: This bill protects minor girls who are pregnant or are considering an abortion by involving at least one of their parents or legal guardians in the decision-making process. This bill also protects the fundamental right of parents to raise their children as they see fit without government intrusion.
0: That is one way of looking at it. Senator Gary Farmer has a very different take on the bill.
2: This bill is not about solidifying parental rights. This bill is not about protecting the health and safety of a young woman. This bill is about forced pregnancies on women who do not wish to have a child. This bill does not further engage parents in this discussion with their children, but it instead gives parents the unilateral ability and right to ignore the needs and wishes of their minor daughter, and veto their minor daughter's decision to not go forward with the pregnancy.
0: Senator Gail Harrell supports the bill. Her late husband was an OBGYN, and Harrell says he delivered babies for girls as young as 13.
1: How can a 13-year-old make decisions They can't even decide what they're going to wear tomorrow, no less they're going to make a decision as whether they're going to have a child and be responsible for that child at 13. We need parents to be part of that decision, to be there for their children. So when we have children having children, we need to have the parents involved.
0: But Senator Lauren Book says the medical community is against the bill because they're more concerned about the rights of the patient than the parents of the patient.
1: I don't believe that the state of Florida should be forcing children to have children. We should not go against the advice of every single leading medical organization in the U.S. We should not punish doctors for listening to and acting out in the best interest of their patients. We should not defile the sanctity of Florida law with less than scientific rhetoric. Like born alive. We should not be putting a bill up designed to chip away at the fundamental right to autonomy over a woman's
3: body.
0: Senator Lori Berman says the bill may sound innocuous, but it violates the privacy amendment in the Florida Constitution.
3: In 1980, Florida voters amended our state constitution to protect our privacy rights. Florida is one of only five states with an explicit privacy provision in its constitution. The exact wording of Article 1, Section 23 states, Every natural person has the right to be left alone and free from governmental intrusion into the person's private life. Note, it specifically did not say everyone over 18, and instead says every natural person. Evidence shows abortions are decreasing every year, but it's not been shown that draconian laws are causing the reduction. Instead, better birth control and availability of contraception are working. We should be discussing ways to lower maternal mortality, ways to provide comprehensive and age-appropriate sex education, and ways to promote the use of long-acting reversible contraceptives. This bill does not address the true pressing concerns of women's reproductive health. This bill is not about parental knowledge, conversation, or guidance. Instead, it's an unconstitutional bill created to force minors to have children against their will.
0: Stargell says she is not trying to force any child to give birth against her will. She just wants an adult to be involved in the decision.
1: This is not a pro-choice, pro-life bill. It really isn't. It's about whether or not you're gonna have adults be involved with difficult decisions with children and at what level you remove the adult, remove that umbrella of protection from that child and let the child go out from under that umbrella and make decisions on their own. We don't do that lightly. We want parents to be involved with their children. We want parents to be able to make decisions. And if the parent is not a good parent and is not capable or doesn't want to or is abusive, then we have a bypass for some other adult to help that child make a decision. We don't want the children going through these things alone. We don't want them to look back with something that they regret and they've gone through by themselves. If you truly do care about kids, if you truly do want parents to be involved, and I'm not saying those of you who vote no don't care about kids, that's not what I meant to say with that, but I honestly think this is solving a problem that needs to be fixed.
0: All 17 Democrats voted against SB 404. All 23 Republicans voted in favor. The bill now goes to the House, which passed it last year. Then it goes to Governor Ron DeSantis, who promised to sign the bill during his State of the State message last month.
4: I also hope that the legislature will send me this session the parental consent bill that was debated last year, passed by the House, but not passed by the Senate.
0: Once the governor signs the bill, it will be challenged in court. Supporters of SB 404 are hoping this will be the vehicle to get the Florida Supreme Court to reverse the 1989 decision in the TW case that said abortion is protected by the privacy amendment in the state constitution. The House Education Committee approves a bill allowing college athletes to generate revenue from their likenesses, but it does not allow athletes to be paid to play. Representative Chip Lamarck is shepherding the bill through the House
4: whether you play lacrosse, football, ladies' soccer, if you have the ability to benefit off of your name, image, likeness, and persona, whether it's an Instagram account with a million followers or if you do videos on YouTube or you do a radio show like you do, uh, you should be able to benefit off that because you're a free individual who lives in the United States of America just like any other student. So it's just off your name, image, and like this, no pay. You know, the governor came out in support of it. He's a obviously a former collegiate baseball player at Yale, and so he supports it. Uh, the House got behind it. Uh, my speaker, Oliva, uh, was... was um, was engaged in it and he's taken a little bit of a different approach to it and making sure that uh, certain benefits to student athletes they wouldn't lose their scholarship if they get hurt uh, there's some uh, disability uh, pieces to it with regard to you know their their health and their future um, and also a, a financial literacy piece that would uh, make sure that student athletes like any other uh, student uh, as they approach getting out of college should know what to do with their money have the responsibility if they're privileged to, to uh, you know, make some money off of whatever it might be, that they do the right thing with it. The prospects are good.
0: The House Education Committee added two amendments. One mandated that insurance be provided to athletes must be paid by the college or an institution of which the university is a member. The second amendment requires those athletes to take a financial literacy course. There is one more committee stop before this bill is ready for the House floor. The new commissioner of the Florida Office of Financial Regulation might not be starting his new job anytime soon. My colleague Janelle Irwin-Taylor with Florida Politics reports that the chief of staff for Florida's chief financial officer sent incoming commissioner Russell Weigel a letter demanding he sever ties with his existing securities firm before taking his new position. Weigel's an investment attorney in Coral Gables and has indicated he plans to continue his relationship with his firm and continue collecting payments from efforts related to existing clients even after he assumes his new role. The CFO's office considers that a conflict of interest. Next up, a conversation with one of the few openly gay lawmakers in the Florida legislature. It has been a busy session for Carlos Guillermo Smith, and he's taking a lot of heat for suggesting that voucher money should not go to private schools that refuse to admit LGBTQ students. This is Sunrise from Florida Politics. Our guest today on the Sunrise Interview is State Representative Carlos Guillermo Smith from Central Florida. Welcome to the show today. Thank you for having me, Rick. I appreciate it. Absolutely. And you are right in the target zone right now. There's all sorts of, well, let's just say that your opposition to certain uses of the voucher money has caused all sorts of hurt for a bunch of people. Tell me what's going on
2: there. Well, what's happening is last month, the Orlando Sentinel had a report on their investigation published of really over 1,000 um, private schools that accepted uh, state-funded vouchers. Uh, you know, there's various voucher programs in the state where uh, students and families can apply to get this money and use it to pay for tuition at private schools. But what the Sentinel found was that 83 of them have policies uh, expelling LGBTQ students uh, or even the children of LGBTQ parents from attending their schools i as someone who uh, has been a advocate for all people including lgbtq floridians and young people in particular young queer students uh obviously i'm appalled by the fact that we would use taxpayer resources to fund private schools who are expressly discriminating against gay and trans students so so what has happened is many corporations who help fund the voucher program, have sent a message to state leaders that they don't want to support this type of discrimination against gay or trans students anymore. So they've stopped uh, contributing to the voucher program. And, you know, some folks are are, are worried uh, about what that means. But really what it means, Rick, is that we're finally having a public dialogue about uh, an issue Uh, that has been swept under the rug for too long by the Republicans who have uh, control of the Florida legislature. Uh, I think that it uh, is important that private schools who receive uh, taxpayer-funded school vouchers, that they open their doors to all students. Uh, I think we can all agree that it is wrong to say that any student who says I am gay or I am trans will be expelled from the school. Uh, And that's why we're working towards a solution, Rick, because we want to fix this program. There's so many private schools who do incredible work, who have transformed students' lives, who actually are affirming of LGBTQ students and support them. And unfortunately, this A group of private schools that have these discriminatory policies in writing I think are really um, giving the entire uh, voucher program a bad rap.
0: Well, and they've also accused you of trying to torpedo the entire voucher program simply by raising these concerns about discrimination.
2: Not at all. It's not a secret that I am a critic of the voucher program because I believe that it is unaccountable. Uh, There are very few, barely any standards at all that they have to meet uh, when it comes to uh, the type of, Uh, educational standards that they have. They don't even have a non-discrimination standard, as we already know. Uh, And so that's a broader issue that we're working on, fixing accountability in private schools that get vouchers. But right now, in this moment, we're really focused on making sure that these schools that receive voucher dollars are open to all students and that they can't single out gay and trans students who are already so vulnerable um, to say that they are, are can't enroll in their private school, that gay and trans students are not welcome. That's wrong. And I think we can change that. And it's, and it's an easy fix.
0: Now, the response from GOP leaders has been to say, it's not the state that is allowing discrimination. It's the parent. And it's the parent's choice. And if we pass an anti-discrimination clause, we are interfering with a parent's choice. That logic seems a little bit uh, fallacious, shall we say?
2: I, I think what uh, what they're saying is they're oversimplifying the concept of parental choice. If you are a, a family who lives in a rural community, there's going to obviously be less schools that receive voucher money to choose from. Sometimes there may even be only one or two schools to choose from, if any, that receive these vouchers. So if if you're a kid uh, who's in a public school, let's say you want to use a voucher program because uh, you want to go uh, be part of the, the drama program at a particular school that some of your friends and, and neighbors are participating in, or an athletics program. But then you find out, once you've qualified for the voucher program, that school has in writing a policy that says, Any student that says, I am gay or I am trans will be expelled. That's wrong. And the parent really doesn't have a choice there because the school that they want because of an academic or uh, athletic program is the one that unfortunately has this discriminatory policy. Uh, We can make an easy change at the state level to simply require that these voucher receiving schools establish a non-discrimination policy in enrollment uh, and admissions that would not expressly discriminate against uh, gay or transgender students or really any students for that matter.
0: Now, some of the religious-based schools that are doing this would argue that that's an infringement upon their religious beliefs.
2: You know, I think that it's important for folks to understand the reality, which is that freedom of religion and respect – for LGBTQ students are not mutually exclusive concepts. Uh, These two uh, really, really important tenets of what this country was founded on, freedom of religion uh, and also equality for all, these are concepts that can coexist. And there's so many examples out there of how they do coexist. Uh, In in fact, some of the folks who have criticized our efforts to try to make this change uh, have told Actually, inspiring stories about gay students who benefited from the voucher program, who used it at a school that did not expressly discriminate uh, against gay and trans students, that their uh, sexual orientation or gender identity was affirmed, they were supported, and they were successful. That's inspiring. That proves our point that uh, really treating LGBT students with dignity and respect in private schools that received vouchers, it's possible and it can be done. It can be done, but it won't be done, will it? At least not this session. I'm not uh, pessimistic at all. I'm actually confident that we can reach a solution because, you know, really, while a transformation of the voucher program, I think, would be appropriate, right now we're focusing on what is achievable in this legislative session and we're trying to build consensus with all the stakeholders, the pastors, the schools, uh, the scholarship funding organizations, the Department of Education, and even uh, Republican leadership trying to form consensus that uh, expelling gay and trans students is wrong. And there is a way that we can fix it if we want to. And I feel like there is uh, there is an interest in solving this Um but you know we're we're working on that, and we have a a few weeks left to be able to work that out before legislative session ends.
0: Now, both you and Representative Anna Eskamani have been targeted by one of the the parent not the parent groups, but the umbrella groups that handle the vouchers. Uh, and I gotta say, the pushback seemed kind of extreme. Uh, what do you make of what's happening?
2: Well, I think the, um the reality is that people need to understand not one student has lost uh, access to one of these voucher scholarships as a result of this public dialogue. Uh, I know that some of the organizations, you know, particularly Step Up for Students is likely, um, you know, trying to turn out some of their supporters because they worry about what would happen if more corporations decided to stop funding the program because they're concerned about the discrimination that is happening and is documented. Uh, I would I would urge them, uh, as I have been doing, to join us in our call to really ask for a simple change to uh, not discriminate against gay and trans students anymore. And, and I think that it is, uh, you know, that they, they, they should want to do that because they don't want there to be an idea out there that all voucher receiving schools or even the uh, scholarship funding organization itself is anti-gay or anti-trans. So I I think it is incumbent upon everyone to try to fix this so that they don't get a bad reputation.
0: What do you make of the fact that this whole thing is being driven by corporations, basically, that they seem to have a, a different moral standard than state government does?
2: Well, you know i'm I'm really involved in the LGBTQ community locally and certainly in conversations with corporations who uh, in in the last several years, you know, this has been a trend. you know, they, Have established non discrimination standards to protect LGBTQ employees in their corporations. They want to attract LGBTQ consumers or those who are, um, you know, certainly supporting LGBTQ equality, and they want to make sure that they're doing business with a company uh, that is not. Hostile, homophobic, or transphobic, uh, and so they have done things like uh, march in Pride and provide corporate sponsorships of various uh, issues that are important to LGBTQ Floridians, and we applaud that and we appreciate that, uh, and and that's why I think they 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 did immediately become concerned when the Sentinel reporting came out that showed some of this disturbing discrimination that was happening because they. They were concerned about their own reputation as a as a corporation. You know, they they in many ways, corporations have been more responsive to this issue of discrimination in private schools against gay and trans students than elected leaders have Uh, So it's but but it's helpful. You know, this is all part of an ecosystem. You know, it's not just the legislature. It's the public and it is the corporations who sponsor this. And, you know, there appears to be consensus building that that this is wrong and we can fix it. And and we and this is this is not uh, an issue that it's either. Either we are allowed to discriminate or all of these students are going to lose their scholarships. That's, that's really a false choice. We can fix it. No one will lose their scholarships, especially as even, even new corporate donors have come to step up since some of this has come to light. So um, we, we really are trying to be good partners in this and trying to fix the policy because at the end of the day, it's about protecting all students And that includes gay and transgender students.
0: And it almost seems like the corporate community is saying discrimination is bad for business.
2: Yeah, that's the message that they're sending loudly and clearly. Uh, I agree. And uh, I'm glad that stakeholders are at the table so that we can try to fix this solution, fix this and and work towards a solution.
0: One of the other issues you've been working on is that uh, I guess it was the gender assignment surgery bill. Mm-hmm. That uh, caused so much of a concern in the community. Uh, what's going on with that?
2: Well, uh, on Monday, the House Health Quality Subcommittee held a workshop on this bill, House Bill 1365, which criminalizes doctors with a second-degree felony if they provide life-saving health care to transgender youth. Uh, that would be hormonal therapy, any sort of surgical procedure that is, by the way, in line with guidance that's been published and approved and recommended by the American Medical Association, uh, the Centers for Disease Control, and many other the overwhelming, re- really, number of national organizations uh, and, and medical consensus around providing life-saving health care to trans youth, they would, they would criminalize that in this bill. Now, it was a workshop.
0: Which means Um, no vote.
2: Correct. Originally, it was noticed as a hearing and a vote. But after hearing from many stakeholders uh, and many concerns uh, about the bill uh, and about how problematic uh, it is, uh, and the fact that we couldn't rush through, we really shouldn't rush through a very important and complicated issue uh, the leadership in the House decided to cancel that vote and turn it into a workshop, which was a, which was a good development um, because uh, not only did it give us the opportunity to have a meaningful conversation on a complicated issue, but it also gave um, those who are directly impacted a platform with the committee to be able to tell their stories, for parents to be able to talk about what their family went through when one of their children came out as transgender uh, and how important it is to have access to this type of life-saving care. So at the end of the day, what, w- what we did in lifting up those voices worked. Uh, the bill appears dead for legislative session, and I hope that the sponsors... And the majority party opened their eyes as a result of this to understand that this is just not what we should be doing in Florida and is the wrong direction for us.
0: What do you make of that whole – I believe there were four separate bills that were classified as either anti-LGBTQ or just all being filed at the last minute, the day of the, of the final bill. What what Was there something that triggered it? Was there something going on where people just said, well, the hell with this?
2: there there was a a raft of anti lgbtq bills that were filed right before session began this one that we just discussed that prohibits uh life-saving healthcare for transgender youth was particularly ugly and it was it was really meant to be mean uh and disingenuous towards the transgender community and that you know, that, you know, certainly didn't sit well uh, with the community at large. Other bills were not intended to be discriminatory towards LGBTQ people, but the impact uh, really was against our interests nonetheless. For example, it was mostly preemption bills, uh, just sweeping preemptions of local governments to say that they could not set standards as it related to uh, hiring or firing practices uh, or or other ordinances that by the way they they were preempting existing human rights ordinances uh, that protected LGBTQ workers so so what happened was LGBTQ rights and workers were caught up in a sweeping preemption that didn't single them out or target them intentionally but that doesn't make, the impact any less. Yes. I mean, g- good to know that we weren't the target, but at the end <laughs> of the day if if we lose the rights, the hard-fought rights that were won at the local level as a result of it, really that's uh, that, that's little consolation to those uh, who would no longer be protected. However, uh, GOP leaders uh, like Senator Keith Perry, like representative Michael Grant uh, heard our concerns. They accommodated uh, those concerns by introducing language to uh, really address the fact that this would not apply to anti-discrimination ordinances, and we appreciate that. However, overall, that doesn't mean the bills are good. They are sweeping preemptions that impact Uh, the rights of of workers, uh, the rights of returning citizens, for example, sweeping up uh, ban-the-box ordinances that uh, that protect people who are trying to be reemployed after they've served their time, Uh, environmental protections that would be canceled as a result of these sweeping preemptions. So these are not good bills. They're just a little less bad now that LGBTQ workers are no longer caught up in it.
0: Can't think of a worse way to lose your rights than be collateral damage, not even the target. Correct.
2: Yeah, correct. And, and you know, if it if it seems like uh, LGBTQ issues are bursting at the seams in this legislative session, it's because they are. And that is due to decades of legislative inaction by Republicans who are in the majority to address issues facing LGBTQ Floridians, whether that be hate violence, uh, protections from discrimination at work, uh, certainly the bullying uh, of, of youth, LGBT youth in our public schools, all of, all of these issues have been left unaddressed. And every time the legislature decides that they want to address something that impacts the LGBTQ community, it's in a way that hurts us. And that's what's so frustrating.
0: Do you think the day will ever come when you can work on bills that really don't focus on the LGBTQ community and just do some stupid, boring tax bill or a statute revisor?
2: (laughs) I, Rick, I would like nothing more than to be able to go to bed at night and rest assured that not only LGBTQ Floridians are protected from discrimination uh, in the workplace, in housing, and in public accommodations, but also the LGBTQ youth have the support that they need to be able to live their lives, be successful, be happy, and be healthy. But I know that we have a lot of work to do and a long way to go.
0: Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. You've been listening to Representative Carlos Guillermo Smith on Sunrise. Your calendar of events today begins with the House Gaming Control Subcommittee. They're meeting at 9. The Florida Board of Nursing meets at 8.30 in Hillsborough County. The Florida Office of Insurance Regulation holds a hearing at 10 about a proposal by Capital Preferred Insurance to raise homeowner property rates. The Republican Women's Club of Sarasota is holding a forum for GOP candidates in House District 72. That's an open seat this year because Representative Margaret Good is running for Congress. The start time, 11.30 at Michaels on East in Sarasota. The Florida Public Service Commission is holding a workshop at noon in St. Petersburg's main library to talk about a proposal that would lead to an additional area code for the Tampa Bay area. The Board of Clinical Social Work, Marriage and Family Therapy, and Mental Health Counseling is holding a conference call at 2. That's it for your calendar, and now it's time for the adventures of Florida Man, who gets a win every now and then, unless he gets tased by his wife. A Florida man proves you really can beat City Hall. The Riviera Beach City Council has approved an $875,000 settlement with Fane Losman, who's been battling in court since 2006 when his floating home at a city marina was seized and eventually destroyed. He sued the city and won twice at the U.S. Supreme Court, once for the seizure of his home, a second time when he was challenging the city council for having him arrested and taken away in handcuffs when he tried to address them during a public meeting. And he's not done yet. Lozman is still fighting with Riviera Beach over zoning of property he owns on Singer Island. That's a wealthy enclave on the east end of the city. And finally, a Florida woman has been arrested for zapping her husband with a stun gun when he asked her for a separation. Pinellas County deputies say 69-year-old Pamela Carr admitted to stunning her husband several times at close range, but claimed she acted in self-defense. Carr was arrested at the trailer she shared with her hubby in the serendipity mobile home community of Clearwater and charged with aggravated domestic battery. That's it for this edition of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again Monday as we plumb the depths of Florida politics.